You're listening to The Dollop on the All Things Comedy Network. This is a bilingual American history podcast, and each week, I, sourdough toast eater, lover of dolphins, maker of homemade pasta, Dave Anthony, reads a story from American history to his friend. Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is going to be about. It seemed hard for you to get to friend there. There's been a lot of stuff that's gone down. and uh, I don't think there has been. I, I just have, don't think that's true. I have an emotional response now that comes up in me from all the abuse. What are you talking about? That what I are have you talking re- about? That I what have are received. You talking about? What are you talking about? This is like, this is like the Trump and Biden... Uh, debate. I'm trying to talk, and you're just interrupting me. That's from an insane all of the, comparison. Happen again from all of the abuse that I have received from my co host. It's just a lie. He's he's lying, people but he's lying. Don't, people don't know what goes on behind the scenes, and I we've interrupted each other the same amount of times. We've interrupted would, each other the same amount of times. I wish they did so they would understand the hurt that I feel. And you, I mean, this guy, this guy wears a mask to everything. This guy's overdoing it with masks. This guy's a fucking loser. I am in an abusive podcast relationship, and I am asking for help. I coughed in your mask. If anybody... Jesus. I keep coughing in your mask. What is your... It's I terrible. Don't like you. I'm coming it's... after you, finally. <laughs> I will take you down. God I've been coughing damn. in your masks. No. Stop. Yes, yes, yes. I treat it like a hanky. Every time I've got to have anything come out of an orifice, I just put it, I put your mask to it. Jesus. I just, I'm not a fan. You're right. Ugh. And called it, quote, his jam pad. Jam pad? I'm the fucking hippo guy. Dave, okay. My name's Gary. <laughs> My name's Gary. Wait. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tiggly Podcast. Okay. This is like anarchy. On a five-part coefficient. <laughs> Come on, Now hit him with the puppy. You both present sick arguments. <laughs> no sleep till hippo. No sleep till hippo. Uh, action part. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. Rhoda. Rhoda in the court. Nineteen fifty-two, year of our Lord Jesus Christ. Dale Schiffman was born in Baldwin, Pennsylvania, just south of Pittsburgh. In high school, Dale met uh, a classmate, Kevin Koch, and uh, their mutual love for baseball quickly made them inseparable best friends. Okay, it's already okay. a great story. Yeah, it's great. It's a, yeah, it's baseball. It's fun. <clears throat> Towards the end of high school, Dale temporarily lost interest in baseball and got into, quote, beers, cigs, and slicked back hair. Yep, that's right. (laughs) That's the phase. The trio, the three best things that you can have. Also, when you call them cigs, that's how how you know you're a player. (laughs) So Kevin was actually scouted by the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Cincinnati Reds, and the Pirates had him pitch an entire batting practice. But in the end, nothing came of it, and right after high school, Dale and Kevin both joined the Army. Okay, so from baseball dreams to the Army. Yeah, as it should be. If you can't make a professional sports team 
then you should probably go yep. kill people in Southeast Armed Asia services. For, for no reason. Yep, that's what they say. Yeah, it's like a double header. <clears throat> that's right. Uh, so uh, they were there for a bit. Da- uh, well, they weren't both there for a bit. Dale did a tour in Vietnam, but the war ended before Kevin got out of boot camp. So okay. um, while they were in the Army, Dale got back into baseball. And okay. he played on a high-level minor league team while he was stationed in Fort Devon, Massachusetts. High-level minor. Yeah, I, I assume uh, a, a double A or triple A. Okay. All right. <clears throat> in 1979, Dale and Kevin started playing in Pittsburgh's very competitive softball league on a team called the High Rollers. Okay. We all okay. know about very competitive softball leagues. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, where the pitcher every now and then goes overarm, and everyone's like, all right, come on, we're not doing that. Let's all settle down. Jimmy! That's what What? Happened. No, over. You know the rules. It's still soft. Yeah. It's you, the same you, ball. What if you hit Bert? He already lost one eye. All right, here we go. <laughs> Uh, Dale was a pitcher. Kevin was an outfielder. They were both very good athletes. They played three or four times a week, uh, year-round. And through the high rollers, Dale and Kevin were introduced to cocaine. Well, the high rollers indeed. Yeah, that's right. Great. Kevin, Kevin, quote, everyone we hung out with at the bar and from our end of town, everyone was into cocaine. All right. All right, Dave. You're talking 1979. It was just like cocaine was everywhere. Yep. Which is... So this this is just a working... And the truth is that part of of why it's bullshit is because it would just be great to still not know that cocaine was, like, not a good thing to be doing recreationally. Yeah. Like, because then we could still just all be doing a ton of cocaine. But now we're like, no, it's bad. So now, you know. Yeah. Are you a cop? I, I just keep talking. Okay. I would love to do a bunch of cocaine uh, uh-huh. through my nose. Uh-huh. And what I'd like to do is what I call the walrus. That's could where I put $2 little more, bills. Could, could you speak a little uh, yeah. more into the microphone? I, li- yeah. I like to do the walrus, mm-hmm. which is where I put a dollar bill in each one of my nostrils, and then I double barrel a line. So <laughs> yeah. I just sort of go, you know, one yeah. of those. And uh, I call the walrus, obviously, because they resemble white tusks. Um, I like to do cocaine like that, but I will smoke it too. Oh. I don't want to make you think I'm not going to smoke the cocaine <laughs> or look, we're just a couple guys chewing the fat. Yeah, 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 I don't yeah. mind. A, I don't mind a speedball every now and then. Yeah. That's, uh, that's you when s- you go arm. Can you sell me some cocaine? I, well, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I could, yeah, absolutely, I could sell you some, what do you, how much do you, how much, yes, yes is the one word, like how f- much I want, cocaine like do five you, grams, five grams is good, and, that's great, I have, that's a, done, someone's gonna knock on your door in a minute, great, great, and, great, uh, yeah, great, go ahead and have that cocaine ready, I have the cocaine ready, I'm currently on cocaine, uh, yeah. if I'll be, if I'm being honest, I have cocaine in my stomach, and that's not just from snorting it. That is also to transport it. So uh, it's the winter of 1979, and the Pittsburgh Pirates announced open auditions for their first ever team mascot. 
Oh, dude, when you said auditions, I thought you were going to say, like, for players to play. And I was like, I don't think they call tryouts auditions. Like, all right, boys, from the top, get to the mound and get dirty on this one, all right? Remember what I like to see. I like to see a wind-up and then a throw, and then give them a little sass on the way back. Rounding first, rounding first, and we look confident as we slide into second. Two, three, four. So... Uh, this would be the auditions were for the Pittsburgh Pirate Parrot. For the, the parrot? Yeah, that's their mascot, the parrot. They don't have a pirate? Yeah, I that's I can't. I don't understand it. They should have a pirate. I went They're to not a, the a Pittsburgh school. Our, our mascot I went to a high school, our mascot was the parrot. We I mean the pirates. We had a pirate. It's not hard. It's a yeah, pirate. Not, it's in the name. Yes, and that's why you don't you don't do like adjacent characters. Like, no, it's just insane. You're the pirates, so you have yeah. a pirate. You're not the pirates, so you go, and what would a pirate have? What are the accoutrements? Oh, that's it, a parrot. There we go. Okay, so they're auditioning a parrot because whoever's in charge is an idiot. So the pirate's director of promotions, quote, it has to be someone who, well, the way I, I put it, who's slightly insane. That's the guy we're looking for, a guy or gal. Well, the, okay, now, this, you do not want to make that the top credential you want on someone's resume. Yeah, yeah, you you've do. done it a bunch. But are you out of your mind? <laughs> All right, let me ask you this. Would you put this peanut butter in your ear? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, I put it on my eye, on my eyes and my ear. Okay. And then I'd scream. I'd scream for like 10 minutes. All right, all right, settle down, pal. We're just having a conversation here. I was just seeing if you put it in your ear. All right. Now, I once um, threw a spear through a dog. This guy is straight to callbacks. Sir, uh, just make sure you leave your paper. And then don't leave because we're going to do callbacks after this. I love everything I hear. That guy's unbelievable. Did you hear what he did to his dog? He threw a spear in it. Uh, that's, the right menta- that's the right mentality. So a friend of Kevin's signs him up for the uh, mascot audition. And okay. Kevin had just finished welding school and was about to start his first job, but he figured, you know, he should just go to the audition as a joke, right? See what it is. All right, look, either I'm going to be a professional parrot or a welder. <laughs> Let's let God take the wheel. <laughs> Pittsburgh sports at this time are, you know, really soaring. The Steelers yeah. have just won their third Iron Super Curtain. Bowl in five years. Yeah. The Pirates look like they can win a World Series. It's all like it's uh, the whole the city's pride, right? They're all excited about their sports right. teams. Yeah. The audition was February 23rd, 1979, and Kevin brought Dale. A local newspaper wrote there were, quote, several dozen unemployed actors, frustrated entertainers, singers in the shower, publicity seekers, and almost certifiable crazy baseball fans. They're around... But were any of them totally out of their minds? There, uh, there were... No, I mean, you'll see. There were around uh, 100 mascot uh, hopefuls there. Each got a five-minute audition. Five? What the fuck are you... Five minutes? How do you not shave that down to two minutes after your first ten? You're like, this is brutal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's got to be a long five minutes of time. All right, and then um, what else would the parrot do? You have three and a half minutes. So, uh... <laughs> so... For his audition... Now, Dale has, has now started working as a freelance photographer, so... 
He pretends to be paparazzi and he chases Kevin around the field, uh, you know, fake posing and stuff. Is, is he in a parrot outfit? I don't know if he's in a parrot outfit. I couldn't find that in any of the sources. Because I wonder if, like, because remember when you used to go on commercial auditions and, like, they would have, like, yes. you know, if it was, like, for a Carl's Jr. burger, they would, by the end of the day, you'd get there at, like, 4.30, and there would just be this ragged, beaten, kicked around, yeah. like, half-eaten burger that you would have to be like, okay. Yeah. Like, but at least you had a prop. So I wonder if they're... But my guess is that you're probably... You're probably just acting like a parrot. I, I in think. A I bet you anything. He's just, just too, acting just like a parrot because too much turnaround. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the judges after that had Kevin dance to a disco song, <laughs> which is even weirder. I mean, just having like remember now you're a parrot, Kevin. You're a, Kevin. <laughs> ma- you're a parrot. Be it more of a parrot. It looks like you dancing, and you're quite talented. This is not how a parrot would two step. Okay. Uh, don't forget, repeat some of the things I'm saying, too. I don't hear a lot of repet- repetition. So he does well. He's a good dancer. They enjoyed him. A few days later, he gets a callback. And he makes it into the final ten. Gee, I mean, I love how they're American idling the <laughs> parrot. For the next tryout, he wowed the judges with his dance moves and impressed them all with his sports knowledge and knack for impressions of local uh Celebrities and people. Uh, 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 so I mean, he does. Just, he does local. It feels like we're going off script a little. He does local impression. So he's like, uh, you know, Jimmy down at the end of the bar at PJ's. All right, this is Jimmy. Yeah, this is Jimmy. Yeah. Oh, is it closing time yet? I need another one. That sounds fantastic. Now remember, as a parrot, all you'll really need to do is run around like a shithead. Okay, so I'm gonna do another one. This is, uh, you know, that dog, okay. the dog that got hit by a spear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's unbelievable. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. Um, now, all we've asked you for is one more serious monologue. So, just something dramatic. Again, you'll be mainly running around and messing with the players, and you'll have a big parrot ass, and you'll be shaking that. But we just want to make sure we have someone who can work on all the levels we might have to hit. What? Why did he have to die, Jim? I, mm. so, I, excuse, very quickly. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. What, uh, what play is this from? It's from Old Yeller. Okay, great. Oh, there's a very, it's a lot of, it's a dog theme with you, which I don't hate. Okay, continue. Why did he have to die? I know he was sick. I know it. We could have just saved him. He saved me. He Mm. did it Mm. for me. Mm. Parrot! Uh, Well, oh, wow. What a punctuation. Um, Unbelievable. I have amazing news. You're making it to the round of eight. There's only nine more rounds. <laughs> For the next tryout, as I said, he wows the judges, and uh, he's offered the job. Okay. Kevin was very excited, but he was also worried. He knew that Pittsburgh sports fans notoriously hated mascots and cheerleaders. Yep. None of the city's professional sports teams had either, and uh, he's only going to get paid 25 bucks a game. And Kevin said, quote, I felt like I had died and gone to heaven. Wow. It's that a, is crazy. It's about $67 in today's money. So it's a shit job. 
By the way, though, that's what like NFL. What they pay the cheerleaders? Oh, it's terrible. Is, it's abysmal. They, it's like, well, they, they, but you get the fan experience. Yeah, they tell the cheerleaders it's for exposure. Which you're like, how much exposure am I getting in yeah. Kansas City? Uh, yeah, and you know this is uh, this is 82 games, so he's just not making that much money, right? Jesus Christ, yeah. So they sent him to spring, but again, all all he eats is seed. That's right. So. So he was sent to spring training in Florida to get ready for the regular season. <laughs> that is, Dave, we're already hitting a lot of insanity. That's insane. <laughs> so when he arrives, they put him out on the field in his, uh, in his uniform, his mascot. What do you call it? A mascot outfit. And uh, yeah, was, yeah. He's, he's standing in the outfield, and he finds himself standing next to MLB greats Dave Parker and Willie Stargell. Okay. Now, when I'm a kid, these are two of the biggest baseball players. So he's just standing next to two of his heroes, right? But he's like a parrot. And he, he, he looks at all the, the, the fans in the stands, at, which is, again, it's small. It's spring training. It's practice baseball. And he says to uh, Parker and Stargell, quote, man, I am really nervous. This is crazy. I wasn't expecting this. And Stargell and Parker just laugh, and they say, man... Wait until the regular season starts, because that's going to be like 50,000 fans. So, I, Can you imagine <laughs> if at spring training, a mascot comes up to you and is like, I'm fucking nervous, huh? This is the big time. It's like, what? I'm sorry, who? What? Are you talking to us? Are you talking to us? It's just so insane. So, but now he's, he's, he's feeling like he's part of the team that he always wanted to be a part of. Sure. It's his dream in a way. Sure. Sure, sure. So they didn't give him any specific routine to do. Uh, you know, the team didn't. He, he was just improvising and trying to come up with stuff he would do regularly, but keep it fresh. Right. And it didn't take him long before his mascot crazy antics and his, he just had like a fun, lovely nature to win over the players on the team. Okay. Kevin becomes friends with the players. And... When the season starts, he has his own changing area and shower separate from the team, but he starts hanging out in the clubhouse all the time. It's, okay. And, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sure. Surely there are some players who are a little like, this is pretty weird. <laughs> so, well, this is considered to be the best clubhouse in all of baseball. Uh, it, right. It's just, it's like the end. Well, I mean, they have a separate... They have a separate parrot facility, That's right. so obviously things are pretty good. <laughs> Sports Illustrated called the clubhouse, quote, traditionally has the loudest, trashiest-mouthed, loosest, and most uproarious dressing room in baseball. So the Pirates are really good, and they win the division that year. And on the last day of the regular season, outfielder Mike Essier slaps Kevin high-five as they celebrated in the clubhouse and says to him, quote, nice going, parrot dude. Oh wait. Okay. Now is he is he as the is he as the parrot then or is he himself? He is shirtless and they're celebrating. He's so he's he's like a player. Yes. And and they're calling him parrot dude. This yes. a name. <laughs> uh, wait. What did he say to him? He said, "Nice going, parrot dude." <laughs> nice going. Like he had something to do with it. He also had a good season. Yeah. For sure. 
the Pirates went on to win the World Series. The victory was away in Baltimore, so the mascot couldn't be there. But Kevin went there as a guest of the Pirate organization, so he's there. Sure. Back in Pittsburgh, obviously, the fans go fucking crazy. They're all in the streets. Quote, 120 arrests throughout the city, uh, 10 dog bites from police uh, canine patrols, and countless streams of toilet paper and debris left behind. Three, typical, Typical baseball win uh, town. Yeah. So the team, the team loves what Kevin did in the season. Okay. And now he's become a bit of a local celebrity in Pittsburgh. During one game, he drove a mini replica Corvette around the stadium while a bunch of, I don't know, what, I don't know who's on the mopeds, but a bunch of people on mopeds follow him. And then he spontaneously, just on a whim, decided to drive out of the stadium Onto the actual street. That's not street legal. And then he drove over the 6th Street Bridge. What? The whole time he kept, quote, shaking his parrot head and yelling at people. And then the cops... Yeah, I'm waiting to hear that word, cops. The cops stopped him as he pulled up in front of a local disco, but they didn't give him a ticket, quote... The policeman asked for the parrot's autograph and gave the motorcade an escort back to the stadium. So he illegally drives a tiny Corvette in a parrot outfit. The police, when they get him, ask him for an autograph and give him presidential treatment back to the stadium. That's right. Okay. Okay. So, okay. Sure. Sure. Great. On average, on average, Kevin lost about six pounds per game from sweating in the suit. <laughs> How much did he weigh to begin with? He's going to be wasting. He's nine. <laughs> he weighs nine pounds now. He's actually weighs less. He weighs less than most parrots. I actually don't think he was that big. I think he's just in a suit, and it's Pittsburgh in the summer. It's, it's also just... when you have, as someone who wore these costumes for about five or six years in the summer, <laughs> you a lot of it can just be water weight. Where it is just like it's it's pure sweat coming out of you, so yeah. you can. I mean, that's how like UFC fighters drop What's, weights, you know. Yeah, that's what wrestlers do. Yeah, fights. Yeah. Uh, during one particular uh, instance, it reached 135 degrees inside the suit during a game, and Kevin lost 13 pounds. Oh my god. I I had some days where I was like, I'm going to die. I remember one time I had to be. Darth Vader in a bowling alley that its air conditioning broke. And, uh, and I, I did almost pass. I had to like go outside for a minute and like take the mask off and be like, (laughs) so (laughs) dreams. Um, he passed out twice during that game in the suit. That's the best thing when you just see a mascot collapse out in center. I'm <laughs> not liking his new stuff. I, I, I like the Corvette <laughs> thing. This new stuff seems a little lazy and uh, derivative. But, you know, like I said, they loved him. The GM said if he kept it up, he could soon be making 40000 a year as the mascot. Okay. Deez. The, the San Diego chicken had just gone on strike and sure. uh, settled for 100000 a year. Yeah, no, I remember the chicken strike. That's right. I wish I could explain to people in other countries just how popular the San Diego chicken was. I now see. I don't fully remember. Like, I, I mean, I think I know. It, he kind of looked like a cockatoo, 
more than a chicken. No, he looks like a. He looks like a chicken. He doesn't look like a cockatoo. He looks like a chicken. Okay, he looks like a chicken. There's a lot of. There's but just, it's just. It's just even for baseball. About it. Even for baseball, it's a lot of fouls. <laughs> okay, I'll let you. Deal. I won't erase that. Thank you. Kevin was making extra money also doing appearances at malls, promotional events. He's even doing weddings and bar mitzvahs. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. What the hell? That's right. And today, Joshua is a man. Rock! He's a man! A friend described Kevin as, quote, young, single, and taking on the world. Yep, through the eyes of a parrot. Now, speed in the 70s and early 80s was really big in MLB. They had bowls uh, of speed. There were greenies and reds. Red, red, I think, was a liquid, but there was a big bowl of greenies. Sure. And when Kevin was coming in, he he looked a bit under from, you know, partying or whatever, sure. the players would encourage him to take speed and drink some coffee before he put on the... Yep. That's, <laughs> that's right, Parrot. Just do some amphetamine. <laughs> a speeded up mascot yeah. on your eyes. A speed parrot. <laughs> like, remember when he was nervous? Like, he was nervous in spring training recently. And now he's like, man, yeah. I don't even know how I'm going to do it. They're just like, do some speed. <laughs> so... So now Dale. Dale was, uh, he's a sports fanatic. He has season tickets to the Steelers, the Penguins, and the Pirates. And pretty soon, Kevin introduces Dale to the Pirate team. And soon, Dale is in. He's hanging around. He's there all the time. Dale, quote, I got to stand out there in right field with my heroes. A few would even invite me, uh, invite me to meet after the game and have a beer. Life could not have been better. Okay. So... Kevin and Dale are now hanging out with the players. Sure. And they're all in and everyone's friends. Yep. A friend of Dale's, quote, Dale doesn't want to grow up. All he wants to do is have a good time. Now, Dale's having trouble finding consistent photography work, but he feels like validated hanging out with these famous baseball players. Sure. Yeah, Everything is great. Yeah. Quote, hanging out with athletes made your pride go up. It made you feel like somebody, even if you were really a nobody. Now, one of the guys on the team, Rod Scurry, made his major league debut as a relief pitcher in 1980, and pretty soon Kevin Scurry and Dale were all really close. Okay. Kevin and Scurry were best best friends. Oh. So often when Dale and Kevin were partying after pirate games, they would run into pirates at, you know, different bars and stuff. Kevin, quote, Barra or somebody would say, "Hey, do you guys party?" And then one thing led to another, and the players found out that Dale could get stuff. And that's how it kind of snowballed. Literally. They started doing cocaine. Okay. Okay. So now, so now the, pi- the parrot mascot you've hired is your portal to Booger Sugar. Yeah. Basically, Kevin and Dale, from their times of doing blow when they were on the high rollers, right. they've got connections. So they're like, oh, I can get blow. You want to do blow? Let's do blow. Yeah. You're professional athletes. Why don't we do a bunch of cocaine together? Soon the players are starting to just call Kevin to see if Dale can get blow before games okay. for the party afterwards. Sure. Scurry and infielder Dale Barra called the most. Now, Dale Barra is Yogi Barra's son. Oh, gosh. Okay. 
And, it, and if you don't know who Yogi Berra is, because uh, you don't know baseball, Yogi Berra, one of the all-time greats, all- 10 World Series victories, three uh, most valuable player. But also uh, known series. for his uh, quips that are quips. just yeah. sometimes. A quote. Yeah, he's a, a, quote, he's machine. a quote machine, right, yeah. Yeah. With, uh, with Dale around so much, Kevin started becoming less of a middleman. Uh, Dale started sc- Dale was scoring it from local guys he knew, and he'd sell a grammar, grammar two at a time. And he'd cut it because he would take some. Sure. So, right, so yeah, he'd cut it. Yeah. And most of his deals start happening in corridors around the stadium, and they never ran into Pirates management, and that led Kevin to think that management knew what was happening and was just avoiding it all. Okay. Wow. It's it, even, I mean... The, the, I, even the term, even though it's sports-related, of pirate management just doesn't sit true. You can't manage pirates. <laughs> you expect they're going to do whatever they want. Never. It's, it's, you can't yeah, that's right. They're pirates. Guys, guys, relax. So, uh, so pirate players now start calling Dale directly to have him deliver cocaine to hotel rooms for themselves and players who are coming into town and visiting teams. Oh, so that's, you know, and that is, that is sportsmanship. That's nice to see that yeah. you're not gonna you're not gonna ice out other players to to get chach from you just because they're not on your team, you know. That's it's, right. it's all about sportsmanship. You all play for the same thing, which is just the experience and give back to the fans while you're coked out of your brain. That's right. Yep. Kevin, quote, I remember some of the other teams all of a sudden started to get involved. They'd say, how can you get your buddy to do this or that? And I'd call Dale, and he'd come down, and we'd party with just about everybody. It was pretty bizarre. It was pretty (laughs) out of control. We would be in clubs every night drinking and stuff, but it was like, hey, let's all get together because of cocaine. Oh, that's a good So now they're just doing blow with tons of baseball players. Right. Just great. Even though Kevin was trying to back off a bit, he still found himself delivering cocaine to various baseball players when Dale wasn't available. Quote, I couldn't say no. What are you going to do? It's almost impossible to say no. These were your heroes. Guys from when you were a kid. I still remember sitting down with Willie Stargell going, I remember your first game, Willie. It was in 63 at Forbes Field. I was like 9 or 10 years old. And he's like, all right, uh, let's do a bunch of blow. Can you imagine if you're like the and, manager being like, so um, we think the parrot's dealing cocaine to the team. <laughs> we got a drug parrot. Just, just FBI agents rushing yeah. on the field yeah. and tackling yeah. the parrot. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, I want my lawyer. Mark, my lawyer. <laughs> and as someone who, you know, I had, uh, had uh, comedians I was a fan of, and, you know, a few years later, I'm hanging out with them doing drugs. Yeah. I totally get this. Oh, yeah. 100%. It's it's a, a great way to normalize your heroes when you're like, oh, yeah, you're dicey too. By nineteen, so by nineteen eighty two, blow is a huge part of MLB. That's what the Pirates B stood first for. Baseman, that's right, Major League Blow. Major League Blow. First baseman uh, John Milner was snorting up to seven grams a week. Oh my lord! With, and he's doing it with players like Scurry, Barrett, Dave Parker, Lee Lacy. Quote. It was so common that the first thing Scurry and Barry thought about prior to the season's home opener was making sure someone had called Dale for easy game delivery. Wow. Uh, all quotes are by Aaron uh, Skirball, uh, and I'm not going to say the title of the book, but uh, unless I say otherwise, all quotes are by him. I've okay. given away the title. I can't do that. It ruins the whole story. Okay. 
So 24-year-old Kevin Connolly was a heating and cooling repairman who met Scurry through his girlfriend's friend on a double date. Okay. Pretty soon, pretty soon, Connolly and Scurry are doing blow all the time together. But Connolly is a repairman, so he doesn't make that much money, and the cocaine lifestyle is pretty hard to maintain for a you know heating repairman. So Connolly decided he had to quote find somebody that had cocaine, get it at cost, and sell it. Okay, great. So much right. So great, 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 great. (laughs) Soon Connolly was buying a quarter ounce and splitting it, keeping half and selling the other to Scurry. And then Connolly met more players who wanted cocaine, but then a quarter ounce wasn't enough to keep up, so he started buying a quarter kilo. And then a quarter kilo wasn't enough. Jesus Christ. And his bulk cocaine purchases get bigger and bigger and bigger. In 1983, Scurry had cocaine dealers all over. He's got Dale, he's got Connolly, and if, Dale, if Dale's not around, Curtis Strong in Philadelphia, Shelby Greer in Philadelphia. So he's branching out and meeting more and more cocaine guys. Good, good. Before one game, Scurry snorted a gram and pitched a shutout, so he started to believe blow was an important part of his game. Oh, no. To have to snort a gram before every time you pitch? Jesus Christ. You're just snorting a gram, no. a gram before you pitch? Like, well, not a, How could like, you? I can imagine snorting a gram. I can't imagine being like, I have to do a gram before I pitch. Like, the, the, like, <laughs> the, the routineness of it. Uh, so. Good Lord, your poor quote, heart. Yeah. So. The more cocaine the players wanted, the more Connolly needs to score it. So he starts flying to Miami to buy two kilos of coke for 40 grand, and they smuggle it back to Pittsburgh. And this is all just to get cocaine to the players. I mean, this is a lot to go through. And he's a heating and cooling repairman? Yeah. Okay. So the job, I mean, they're like, you need another two weeks off to go to Miami? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so the guys who sell him the cocaine teach him how to smuggle it. Quote, the cocaine, which came in a large chunk, was placed in a plastic bag. The bag was then placed inside of another bag and dipped in mustard. And this package was placed into another bag that had coffee grinds in it. So we had three bags going. Then we just sewed it into my jacket, and I'd walk through the airport. Well, yeah, but if they find any, you're like, oh, I like to eat coffee and mustard. (laughs) Conley started to just love the rush of smuggling cocaine more than actually doing blow. Oh, that's tough. One time he's at the airport, and there are several uh, police dogs and their officers standing and right in his path. So instead of deviating and changing and going around them, he just walks straight through them for the thrill of it. Well, I will say in that situation, you don't want to turn around. You know, you just got to be like, keep going. <laughs> I, I, I remember once when I was, uh, well, whatever, never mind. <laughs> um, now, back at home, Connolly needs help because he's, you know, going through so much cocaine that he invited an old friend, Tommy Balzer, to help sell. Balzer? Balzer. You want an eight Balzer? Could be Bowser. Let's go with Bowser just so it doesn't sound terrible. Okay. Uh, Connolly recruited an old friend, Tommy Bowser, to help sell. Quote, Bowser was more like a secretary. All he was in charge of was watching me. He would write down who we owed money to, stuff like that. So basically, he, whenever he gives out cocaine, then Bowser writes it down, and then they try and get the money later. Right, right, right. He's got a Connolly bookkeeper. So 
<clears throat> yeah. So Conley sold at high-end Pittsburgh clubs like Heaven, and baseball players were notorious for not paying for the cocaine, especially Scurry. And Bowser hated it when Connolly gave out coke without getting money because then he'd spend days chasing down these baseball players right. trying to get money from them. Right. They were making about $13,000 a week. Oh, my God. Most of it, almost all of it, went to partying women and giving baseball players deals so they could keep hanging out with them. So they're not actually making, making money. Right. It's all going back into whatever they're doing. Right, 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 right. It's cocaine socialism. It's just all so they can hang out with baseball players. Sure, yeah, of course. <laughs> can you imagine flying to Miami with gr- coffee grounds and cocaine and mustard taped and sewed into your jacket, all so that you can be like, <laughs> so um, what was it like when you, had, when you missed the bunt, though? Is it weird when you miss a bunt? The Pirates Dale Barra and John Milner found another dealer. Again, another guy who only started dealing cocaine because he met baseball players. Jesus Christ. Robert, they, I mean, they are starting an industry. <laughs> Robert McHugh was an accountant and a Vietnam vet, and he moonlighted as a DJ, and he called himself Ravishing Rob. Yeah, of course. You know, I remember him. He had just started using blow in 1983, and he started sharing it with Milner and then selling it to Milner. So, again, it's a guy who's doing blow. He meets a player. He starts doing blow with the player, and then he's like, well, I, I can sell it to you because he can't afford to keep just giving the player cocaine. Right. So, they, so the, the Pirates are a like stimulus program for the cocaine industry, but none of the jobs they've created are giving anyone sustainable incomes because of how much free cocaine they get. <laughs> And again, That's right. the gateway to this was a parrot. That's correct. Okay. By the middle of 1983, the nightclub scene in Pittsburgh was drugs, women, baseball, and partying. Kevin was a celebrity as sort of the Pirates team member. At one point, he told the player, a woman at a club had asked him to fuck her while he wore the pirate parrot head. Oh, my goodness gracious. What sort of bizarre splash fantasy is this uh, and what does that say to you when you're like over my head like it's kind of like a part okay wow oh. good lord <laughs> Mark, are you coming Mark, are you coming The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette wrote that Kevin was, quote, the sort a mom would like her daughter to bring home, an earnest yes-ma'am kind of guy, but with a bit of a devil in him. Yeah, he's dealing cocaine to the MLB. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin, quote, I pretty much had carte blanche wherever I wanted. Like owners of a nightclub or whatever, I'd come in, they'd get to know me, I would get the keys to the VIP room. It was pretty crazy. And he said he, he was just able to have sex with whoever. Like, he was like part of the Pirates, and he's a bit of a celebrity. So I'm the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, so, yeah, so he's... That's amazing, though. It's amazing. That, that is amazing. Uh, but his crazy lifestyle affected his performance. Sure. Uh, but in a good way, USA Today, quote, Kevin's many antics at Three Rivers Stadium were legendary, from singing at second base with umpires to popping wheelies while flying over the mound on a motorcycle. So they essentially just put, like, cocaine in a parrot costume. Uh, Yeah, I think he's doing speed and cocaine 
during games and all the time and just going fucking batshit crazy. People are like, where's he come up with this? It's like, oh, he's on hardcore narcotics. <laughs> Dude, hold on. Jose is doing some crazy shit in this closet. Give me. Of course he is. Okay, sorry about that. Just had to be a good father. You wouldn't understand. That's right. Uh, so Dale's also having a really great time. He isn't making really money. He still split rent with two roommates, but he didn't care about money. He just wanted to have fun and hang out with baseball players. Right. <laughs> oh, and he was also at this point becoming addicted to cocaine, as was Scurry. Dave, I'm not going to lie. I was starting to think that there might be some cocaine problems going around the pirates. Um, one day, Connolly came, comes home, and Scurry is at his back door. Now, Scurry was supposed to come over after the Want to hit some came, dingers, friend? <laughs> what brought you over here? Little, you want me to pitch you? Scurry's supposed to come over after the pirate game to buy some grams, so he was expecting him, but he's early. And Connolly asked Scurry what happened with the game, and Scurry said, ah, fuck that shit, they're assholes. And then Connolly was like, all right, I'm going to go clean up, and he takes a shower, and he comes out, and when he comes out, Scurry is sitting on the couch watching the game, mm-hmm. waiting to buy blow. Uh-huh, and he's like... And that's when Connolly realized the game was still being played. And on the TV, the announcer said, quote, I wonder why Scurry isn't warming up. He's a healthy scratch for some reason. We're not sure where he is right now. You're like, uh, well, because now he's be at the game? <laughs> yeah, well, now he's so into cocaine that he's blowing off his job. Literally. A professional major league... Yeah. Yeah, major league baseball player to get cocaine. Yeah. We understand Scurry's a healthy scratch trying to buy some chach. <laughs> I understand he's over at someone's house right now trying to score some of the devil's dandruff, and then we'll probably make it back for the third inning. It's a common problem for the Pittsburgh Pirates this season who have found themselves in some real cocaine hot waters at different times. This is a team fueled 100% by cocaine, and uh, you can tell it has many pitfalls. Two down. Full count right now. <laughs> so, Other, other uh, Pirate players are running into problems. Uh, another dealer had called... Uh, Dave Parker at 4 a.m. asking for help getting Barra out of his house because Barra had been there for hours searching through the dealer's belongings, hoping to find more cocaine. Wow. I mean, also, the idea that you're Yogi Barra's kid and you're treating someone else's apartment like a picnic basket that has a pie in it, but you're looking for (laughs) cocaine. On the field, Barra started falling apart. Sports writer Bob Herzl, quote, Dale Barra couldn't perform the simplest task. He was picked off first base with a 3-0 and count on the batter. So people don't understand what that means. It's something that you learn when you're eight years old. Right. You, don't get, you don't hang off the bag when there's a 3-0 and count right. and you're on first base. Right. It's just, you just, like, you would it, get taken out of the game at, at 10 if you did that. Right, okay. <laughs> Scurry is now falling asleep in the bullpen during games. Good, good. I mean, the uh, you're doing too much cocaine when you're exhausted from doing cocaine and sleeping. <laughs> like the whole thing is, it's a stimulant. 
So if you've like you're over coking so much that you're like, I got to sleep during the game. It's like, that's the one time we need you to be doing your cocaine, Popeye. This is your spinach. Snort it. During one game, he fell asleep between 20 and 25 times. Oh, my God. That's nodding off. That's like that is like seriously dangerous. Before another game, while in the outfield for batting practice, he fell asleep standing up. What? He's like a horse now? He's done so much cocaine <laughs> that he has like a horse sleep regimen? What in, is happening? <laughs> oh, shit. Scurry's game was also rapidly declining. In 1982, he pitched 103 innings, uh, but in 1983, only 68, and he had a 4-9 record. Okay. To deal with the pressure and anger of the fans, because Pittsburgh fans are not at all forgiving. I mean, Dave Parker was doing great, and they were throwing batteries at him. Right. So right. he starts doing cocaine to deal with the stress of the fans not liking it. Sure, okay. That'll help. That's, it's always uh, been a really so calming effect it'll give you. Oh, yeah. man, I was stressed out, and then I did a bunch of cocaine, and now I'm calm. Yeah, no, they say if you want to calm down and be less anxious to do uh, just a lot of blow. Well, that's why Ray Liotta at the end of Goodfellas is so together. That's right. Uh, so Scurry is now doing seven to nine grams a night and spending 500 to to $1,000. Oh, my God. So, so people start distancing themselves from him. They're like, oh, okay, this guy's out of control. And he started to show up at Dale's house in the middle of the night looking for blow. Kevin, quote, I never saw something overtake somebody like it did Scurry. He had no control. So in 1983, the Pirates finished in second place. But because left-handed pitchers are so rare, they keep Scurry, hoping he'll improve for the next season. Right. But between seasons, from doing blow, he loses 20 pounds. Oh, God. And then the season starts, and in one game, he came in to protect a 63 lead in the fourth. And a 6-2-3 a lead. Right, okay. 6-3 lead in the fourth. He threw eight pitches, none close to the plate, walks two batters, and then the team loses 8-6. to six. And then he just snorted, like, all the white powder that's in that weird sock that's on the mound. He was like... <laughs> <laughs> After the game, Scurry said, quote, the plate was jumping. I was wild. There's not much more to say. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's, there's not much more to say. He comes to camp. He's like, I'm right-handed now. Oh, God. <laughs> so teammates decided to make it harder for him to get blow. Uh, so We're like stapling your nostrils. Hand. Well, they start leaving the doors open in the, in the hotel room so they can all see if he walks by or if anybody else walks by to stop him from going to his room. Okay. Okay. So... In a Los Angeles hotel, Scurry had his dealers stitch the blow into the webbing of a baseball glove and send it to his room because yeah. they would get free gloves all the time from people. Like people would give them gloves to, right. like, you know, people who make gloves. Right, right. So no one thought a glove coming up through the, you know, hotel bellboy was a thing. Right. But inside of it, he had stitched all the cocaine. Wow. So. <laughs> That is, I mean, that really is amazing. So while his teammates all went to sleep for the night, he just stayed up all night doing blow. Through in a glove. He was just like, uh-huh. <laughs> Someone walks in, they're like, whoa, 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 skirt. Who makes the cocaine night- glove? What company's doing that? <laughs> That'd be an amazing ad. The only cocaine catcher's glove. mitt. 
So uh, one night he flips out and he calls his dad while he's in some sort of cocaine madness. And his dad calls pitcher Don Robinson, who is in a room down the hall. And Robinson goes to check on him. And Scurry is destroying the room, saying there are snakes and cameras in the TV and walls. Everybody get in here. There's a bunch of snakes. We got to help him. Overly supportive. That happened to my sister. She had a, a roommate who did meth, and she said the same thing. She started tearing the place apart because there were cameras and snakes everywhere. Mm. So sure. there's cocaine scattered all around the room. Uh, well, but the, the snakes probably bit into man- a bag of it. <laughs> the pirates managed, you know, through their ways, obviously, keep the uh, legal authorities out of it. Scurry had snorted 15 to 20 grams over two days before he snapped. So that that's some just end of Scarface shit. That's just constant. That's just like every breath is snorting. Like, could you imagine how much work it takes? No, to snort it's just twenty fucking poor sinuses. <laughs> feel like. So doctors believe he was having a cocaine. Doctors believed he was having a cocaine-induced psychosis, which is very rare for snorting cocaine. Okay. Actually, you know what drug it's m- most common for? Uh, no. A psychosis-induced marijuana. I was going to guess that, but it seems so wrong. Yeah. Well, there's a lot. There's yeah. a lot of times there is like um, it is a catalyst for like you know like yeah. I, I know that like my cousin is schizophrenic, and I I don't believe this is the reason, but his parents do believe the reason is because of a pot. But I have another. I have another couple well, of people I know discovered they were bipolar through episodes of, uh, yeah, just too much pot. Yeah. Uh, so, the team makes him go to rehab. The team makes because you know obviously things are not great. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is all forced upon him. Here are the headlines in the headline of the Pittsburgh paper. Quote: Scurry asked for help, admitted to drug center for rehabilitation. Hey, wait a Other minute! Papers, At the drug quote, center, they take away the drugs. <laughs> Other papers quote, Scurry, with the help of old friend and fellow Pirates pitcher Don Robinson, had walked into Chuck Tanner's office, admitted his problem, and asked for help on his own accord. <laughs> uh-huh. Pittsburgh, Pirates, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Pirates GM, quote, I'm proud that he came to us seeking help. Captain uh, Bill Maddock, quote, it takes a big man to step forward the way he did, so they just built this fucking bullshit story. Right. right. And, and the reality is, is he flipped out and they made him go. Yeah, right. He came in here now, and he said all... straight away he's got a bunch of snakes living in his stomach and he wanted to die. <laughs> and I knew what that meant. It was time to go to the drug center. <laughs> now, all the, all the guys who are giving the players drugs now are freaking out. Right. Uh, and Barra calls Connolly and tells him to stay away from Scurry because he'd gone nuts. Scurry is put into rehab for 28 days. Oh. So one of those. Not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a lot. Yeah. His parents go to visit him. Mom, quote, I was very disappointed in the rehab center because I felt they were treating him as a big league star and not as a drug addict. We were greeted like we were coming to a big party. Well, that's a good vibe for a rehab facility, right? (laughs) That's what you want. Hey, welcome. Before we go to your son's room, do you guys want any cocaine? We don't want to do it around him. We do do it around him, but we don't want to do it around him with you here. Does that make sense? Uh, by the way, uh, in his room, we have a bunch of cameras and snakes. Okay, right this way. He's down the hall. He's 2R. He had a pitching mound in rehab so he could stay in shape. 
Okay. What? It's you. Just keep the focus on the right stuff. What in the world? Uh, when he got out, the pirates immediately had him hold a press conference, and he told the press he had OD'd three times in 1983. Wow. So now, the FBI was interested. Okay. They had already learned of connections between dealers uh, and Scurry and Barra. So there's like a West Virginia case. They heard a connection. So they're hearing different connections between the team and the players. Uh, They had a recorded message that they got from an unknown Pirates player trying to buy Coke when they were in Huntington. And and it was from a bar that was owned by Pirate Don Robinson. I'm looking to score some Coke. Oh, shit. (laughs) It's a giveaway. (laughs) Uh, so they they bring in, uh, Dale Barrett in for an interview, and he doesn't give anything up. He just doesn't say anything. Okay. And then they talk to Stur- to Scurry, who squealed. Oh, gosh. <laughs> wow. He named five people he had bought it from, Dale Connolly, Shelby Greer, Jeffrey Moscow, and a guy named Curtis in Philadelphia. And he named five, five pirate players who used cocaine, Dale Barrett, Dave Parker, Lee Lacey, Lee Mazzilli, and Jim Bibby. But Bibby had never done cocaine. <laughs> right. Bibby's, that's cool to do that to Bibby. <laughs> the FBI, FBI started interviewing more players and doing surveillance of the dealers. But being baseball season, very hard to get the players. Right. Okay. Because they're always on the move. They're going to other cities. Right. It's just a whole thing. So they keep going to Barra. He refuses to give up anyone. And then agents got the green light to give Scurry immunity. When they go to talk to him, he's clearly back on blow. (laughs) He said, quote, I'm ready to tell you what the story is. There's a network of drug dealers servicing the National League. You have cocaine on your nose. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, see? That's what I'm talking about. Yes, but we're a little... Look, Look, there's a bunch in my pocket. This is what I'm saying. Yes, but you've been doing it, is what we're saying. Yeah! Yeah, there's guys give it. Yeah, well, I'm we're buying tr- it from other guys. Yeah, well, Jesus Christ, we're trying to give you some immunity. You need to stop doing it and be our guy. I love it. Yes, I don't think... I love it. That's incongruous with it. the plan we had. Hey, I have an idea. We uh, open no, change bank. No, 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 you were and not... No, all no, it is is a bank. No. It's a bank where you get change, and people it come makes in no and sense. they give you a dollar. It's not a good and idea. you give them four... You give them four quarters. That's not why we're here. Look, we are, everybody needs change. We are looking. Everybody needs we change. We are looking to break up the drug ring around the Pittsburgh Pirates. There are the coolest monkeys. What are you talking? Okay, listen to me. You just do not. We here's what I'm oh, saying sake. is we start a monkey farm. That's not what we right? are. The goddamn and we FBI. Make monkeys. We are not going to make. We how are we going to make monkeys? We release them in Pittsburgh, and then. The whole city is a monkey city, and people are like, "I want to go to Monkey City," and we fucking and we make we just make so much money. Listen to us and listen to us clearly. I, we I, want do you need more blow. I'm going to go get some more. I have a whole pile in my room. Go get it. I'll talk to my partner for a second. We need to get a copyright on that change bank idea right away. That is a great call. That is. I've been in so many times where I've needed change. I wish that uh, change thing was not a direct quote. What? From my friend, uh, my friend on cocaine in high school. Oh Eddie. my god! Oh my god! Oh <laughs> my god! A change bank, dude. We make a dollar a week. We're rolling in it. 
You don't even so, need a vault because it's so many nickels. So, so like I said, the FBI is interviewing more players. Bear's not giving people up. And then he, and then Scurry just starts talking. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he names Curtis Strong, who's a Philadelphia caterer who started selling cocaine to the pirates anytime the Phillies played in Pittsburgh and then started just coming to Pittsburgh to sell cocaine. He drops the dime on a guy named Shelby Greer, who traveled with the team and sold blow. But these, again, these are all guys who are fans right. and then started selling blow because they want to hang out with the players. Right. There's more surveillance. Phones are tapped. The FBI starts making connections. Connolly's house is searched. Uh, they found uh, nine ounces. And then they went to Belzer's and they found two ounces. And then at this point, the U.S. attorney... The FBI tells the U.S. attorney what's going on, and the U.S. attorney decides the way to handle this is to give all of the Pirates players immunity to get the drug dealers. This guy's top-notch. <laughs> the best in the biz. Scurry was the first baseball player with immunity to appear before a grand jury. At one point, agents were with Connolly doing a deal in Florida to get his supplier. Okay. An agent realized they had a huge bag in the back of the car with SWAT written on it. So they're about to do this deal with this guy they've got being a snitch. And then the guy's like, shit, what if he checks the trunk? And they look in the trunk and there's just a giant bag that says SWAT. SWAT? So, yeah. So he's like, what the fuck? I got to get this out of here. So there's a police subdivision like 100 yards away. So he grabs the bag and he runs to the subdivision and tells a cop, quote, this is going to sound crazy, but I'm an FBI agent, and I'm right in the middle of something uh, going down. Can I leave this bag here? Have a good day. And the cop's like, <laughs> the cop's like, I need ID. You can't do that. And he's like, I don't have ID. I'm undercover. So he has the cop call FBI headquarters who verify who he is so he can leave the bag. Oh, my. Uh, meanwhile, a much easier thing to do would just be to go to Scurry and just be like, will you snort all this? But then also, if you're the guy who's in on that and you're snitching, you're like, oh, maybe we shouldn't do this because you guys don't really have your shit together. Hey, you guys seem really bad at this. And you took a bag that said SWAT on it. <laughs> uh, so it, it, after all that, the supplier showed up and he had ha- almost none of the cocaine he said he would. So it wasn't the bus they were looking for. Right. <clears throat> in November 1984, Curry, sorry, Scurry called Dale and told him the players had given him up and he should leave town. But Dale was like, I just haven't been selling. I'm not a big drug dealer. I'm selling like an ounce here or two, a gram here or two to, to hang out with people. So he's just like, I'm going to stop selling it to players. And that should be it, right? Yeah. I'll just stop. Quote, I wasn't getting rich off of it. What dealing amounted to was that I was essentially getting mine for free. Right. And hanging out with baseball. That's all he's doing. Right. A couple of days later, Kevin called Dale and said he wanted to buy some blow. And Dale hasn't seen Kevin in a little while, but they're still really good friends. So Dale goes over to his house, and he sells him two grams for $200. And right as soon as he finished the deal, Kevin looked like he was going to burst into tears. Because Kevin had been offered immunity or jail. Those were his options. And he was wearing a wire. So Kevin's a... free man because he turns in Dale quote it was the worst feeling I think I ever had in my life everything had just bottomed out at that point it was horrible I did something I didn't want to do yeah on November 9th Barrett was subpoenaed and granted immunity and he finally talked 
He gave up the Pittsburgh hanger-ons who had supplied cocaine and two players. Over 140 pages of testimony from Barra. He was coked up for that. Now, Gre- <clears throat> yeah. Greer's house was raided in January 1985. Dave Parker, John Milner, Lee Lacey testified. They all gave up more of the guys who were giving him coke. Greer told the FBI Dave Parker was actually the middleman for all Major League Baseball teams and that he organized almost all of the buys. Wow. Now, it turns out Parker was the entire National League's Pittsburgh contact, but Parker already had immunity. Okay. So, I mean, essentially, it, 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 everybody who's important is getting immunity, or everyone who's like an athlete is getting immunity, and then all of the yeah. people who really were kind of caught up in the middle of this just kind of fan experience are now being looked at as the, the prizes to bust. That's and they're not like none of them are are like, you know. I mean, like they're all doing. They all became huge dealers because Scurry just his nostrils combined into one huge sinkhole in his face. And most of them aren't even huge dealers. They're literally just still yeah, selling just, to the players right, and yeah. not really other people. Right, right. But I mean, so, any big deal they do uh, is like they're giving it to Scurry. Like, yeah, right. Uh, May 30th, 1985, seven indictments were handed down. Now, Dale is absolutely terrified, and then he calls a friend who's an attorney, and the friend says, quote, look, no way the FBI is going after you, you nickel and dimers. They're going after big-time coke dealers, the big fish. So the next day, Dale's house is raided, and oh. he's arrested. Okay, not a great sign. And they put him in the back of, uh, I don't know, a car or maybe a van, and on the way to FBI headquarters, they stop and pick up another suspect to transport on something totally unrelated. And he gets in the van and he says to Dale, quote, hey, man, did you hear about the guy they got with 111 counts? And he's like, well, 111 counts. That's crazy. Well, yeah, what's his it name? Turns out to be Dale. <laughs> he's like, Dale. <laughs> oh, shit. What? He was like, no, I had never heard of that. I didn't know you could get 111 accounts. Yeah, apparently it's just some dickhead guy named Dale. <laughs> Poor son of a bitch. <laughs> I mean, our situation's probably pretty grim, but at least we're not that Dale guy. 111. <laughs> Connolly had two counts against him, and he turned himself in. Later, he would say working with the FBI was, quote, a blast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure, right. <laughs> Sounds like someone got immunity. <laughs> They sent him into bars and didn't make him pay for drinks. So he's going into bars. He's drinking for free to try and get people to, uh, you know, incriminate themselves. It's so nickel and dimed so, at this point, though. It is so, it's, it totally. it's so small. I mean, it's just like... No, it's, it's terrible. It's just ridiculous. It's just like they found a lead. They gave everyone who would have probably been important immunity. And now they're like, okay, well, now we have liaisons to the Pittsburgh Coke scene. Let's just break that up a little bit. Uh, Shelby Greer was charged with 10 counts, Thomas Bowser with two counts, William McHugh with 13, Curtis Strong with 16, Jeffrey Moscow with 12 counts, Kevin Connolly with two, Dale 111. <sighs> he was charged for every home game. Oh, what? That's not how it is. That, I, how do you chunk <laughs> it into that? That's not like... Your Honor, we're actually going to go with, uh, we want to do the baseball counts, and it's a full count is what we have. Uh, you're lucky we're not doing it by innings, you asshole. <laughs> no Pittsburgh Pirates were charged. Right, of course not. 
pirates get away with murder. Uh, the pirates quickly slammed the case for being a ridiculous result of Reagan's war on drugs. The Pittsburgh Press wrote, quote, they got seven fans who shared Coke with players. No one will remember the names Dale Strong, etc. in 10 years, except the prosecutors who used them to get the point across about being tough on drugs. Right. Now, only Dale is denied bail because they believed he would try to get revenge on Kevin. Okay. Uh, the pirates immediately fire him as the mascot. <laughs> I mean, the idea that he was still an employed parrot mascot at this. But you know what, <laughs> Dale, we've hung in there with you. But it's just you have 111 counts. It's a lot. Well, that's Kevin that was immediately oh, fired. Oh, sorry. sorry. Okay, right, right. Uh, uh, but Kevin was immediately an outcast. Quote, after wearing the wire, it was like from having every friend in the world to having nobody at all. Completely nothing. I felt like Judas. Yeah. Well, that's because you're Judas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... But, you know, when um, I entrapped my best friend, it really turned a lot of the cocaine <laughs> players against me. Not sure what it was. <laughs> they seemed paranoid. I don't know. I don't, I'll never know. Something changed. Well, the weird thing is... is when we were doing cocaine, we were so fucking tight. And then all of a sudden... Something changed. Something, something happened between when we were all doing cocaine and having fun. And then it's right around the time when I wore the wire for the FBI and entrapped my friend and I got off. That a lot of these guys just... They changed, man. <laughs> they changed on me. You know, that's part of the thing about these athletes. One day they're your best friend. You're doing coke yeah. out of each other's uh, butts together, and then the next day, they just won't even return a call about cocaine. It's wait, how are you doing? How are you doing cocaine? We would do it many different ways. We'd do it through straws. We would do it through through money. We would you know lines, whatever. We would do do it off tables. Do it off. We'd do it off some women. <laughs> we'd do it out of each other's butts. Uh-huh. We would do it off of uh, wait, a lot wait, of wait, times. Wait, no, that last one. The, the the, I don't even remember what the last one was. The oh, butts, the, the, the women, butts the one. women, the butts. Yeah. Oh, no, the butts. Yeah, yeah. We do it out of each other's butts. Um, yeah. So we and we would do it. We would do it. Yeah. We would. I mean, we would prefer to do it out of each other's bottoms. And you know, and then and then all of a sudden, you think you know guys, right? Because you've you know you've done all these things. You've 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 done you've done you've done cocaine through your nostrils, and then you've snorted it through each other's butts. Which is not easy to do, and 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 then and you think you're friends, lifetime friends, lifetime pals. You go through something traumatic, where where and all of a sudden something changed, something something different. Some, I don't I don't know what it is. I'll never know what it is. I will never know what it is. I will never be able to yeah, fig- so. find out what it is. They won't tell me. They won't even yeah. talk to me anymore. <laughs> no, it sounds it sounds really confusing. It's very confusing. If you're me, you're just sitting here going, "Okay, guys, how about an answer? You know, and we can fix this." But uh, but they won't they won't do that. They just you know they're just who knows. I, I don't I I, I I'm, I'll be fine. I will be fine. You know, I don't need I don't need them, uh, but they need me because I'm the only one who could but like butt holes though yeah. like butt holes yeah you would snort it out of there and then we would also teach each other how to snort it through there it's called surfing um but yeah I can't uh I can't for the life of me 
I just I would love to I would love to be able to sit down with them and talk for a minute and just say, hey guys, what's up? What's new? What happened? And just have it out. Yeah. But instead, no, I'm just I'm just I'm really... sitting here with a head full of question marks over this this mystery. Yeah, just that no, sounds really weird. It's insane. It's, uh... Everything that we did was normal, and then everything recently has yeah. been insane. Yeah. Um, no, that makes sense. Yeah. So, okay, let's do this. Let's do some bumps out of each other's bungs, and then let's go see a movie. Let's go see that Star Wars movie or The Return of the Jedi. It's It's around that time. Let's do that. (laughs) So Dale's uh, view of the situation is different. Quote, Mm -hmm. here's Rod Scurry and Dale Barra and the boys, and they're out playing a kid's game, making millions of dollars. Here's my friend, the pirate parrot, Going to all these clubs, enjoying himself after he wore a wire, and here's me sitting in a jail cell. I mean, he has a really great point. <laughs> he does. He, I mean, he, has anyone ever been fucked over by a parrot more? Maybe Jimmy Buffett, but that's it. <laughs> Connolly got two years. He thought he would get reduced time for working with the FBI and going into a bar, but nope, no, he got no reduced no. time. Well, by the way, that's a deal you make before you go into the bars to entrap yeah. people. You don't, yeah. you don't come yeah. out after you go, all right, we got six of them. Now, let's negotiate. <laughs> I believe I'm operating from As- a position of weakness. I'm ready to talk. As he was sentenced, he was crying, saying, quote, you better check those papers. Something's wrong, man. Oh. He ended up serving 21 months. Blazer got 18 months, and he served 13. Greer got 12 years, but served two and nine months. Strong got 12 years, served four. McCrew uh, got 10 years, but he died after one month. Oh my Moscow God. got four years, uh, served 18, and Dale got 12 years and served two in a federal penitentiary. Wow. When the judge was senten- sentencing Moscow, he criticized the U.S. attorney. Quote, according to the pre-sentence report, Moscow's financial condition is as such. He lives with his mother. He's on welfare. He has no automobile. The car is in his mother's name. He has a personal loan of four or $5,000. No assets. $2,000 borrowed from his sister. All right. Now, is this the lifestyle of a drug profiteer? Objection. I'm not that big of a loser. I, everything he said was pretty good, but that's, I don't like the way he framed it. I will pay her back. And I, pay, make, I make half of the car payments. Thank you. <laughs> the defense rests. Uh, none of the baseball players face any legal repercussions. Mm-hmm. They were barely even any punishments handed down by baseball. Some were suspended, and then the commissioner uh, you know, put them on probation and said, Barra and Scurry continued using cocaine <laughs> wow. in 1992. In 1992, Scurry's mother got a call from her six-year-old grandson who said his dad was fighting imaginary snakes in the yard. These fucking snakes. Oh, God, are there cameras? I'll be right over. Are there cameras? Is he, are they being filmed? That's an important question. <laughs> so can you, I mean, can you, can you imagine, like, the second that you're, like, that coked up again, and you're like, oh, no. What is it about this cocaine and these goddamn snakes? Stay over here, Charlie. I'm going to fight some serpents in the yard. I've done this before. Don't worry. Stand back. You might see some blood, but that's okay. So his mom calls the cops. Cops come. Naturally, they pin him to the ground, and, of course, he stops breathing. 
He died a f- he died a few days later after being taken off life support at the age of thirty six. The cause of death was a cocaine induced heart attack uh-huh. and uh-huh. a brain hemorrhage Which happens- from the cops. Oh well, I mean, it, at least there was a time when we acknowledged that uh, they were asphyxiating people instead of just so they- complications from falling. Yeah, is that asphyxiation or do they just beat him? I mean, it sounds like they just punched him in the head, right? Yeah, I mean, a brain hemorrhage. I mean, well, I. I th- I'm sure that, I mean, brain damage can also come from a lack of, you know, so I, I don't know. But, okay. but either way, it's yeah. like <laughs> yeah, the, good policing. Them. Yeah, this is why there's no reason to have a cops in that situation. It's a guy freaking out. You so need that mental is, health actually, workers. And, that is so goddamn true. And I know we say that, yeah. but that's the exact example of it, where you're just like, yeah, this is a guy who is not of him. He's not himself. He no, made some bad decisions. He's fighting snakes. So you need to go... Yeah, you need to just figure, you know, figure out the person who would actually be helpful rather than the people who exacerbate. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like two percent of calls actually deal with violence, and almost like ninety-five percent the cops aren't needed. Right. We just don't have the right no, system. No, we just place put it all there. Here. Yeah. That's why people want it to fund because uh, it needs to go to other places. Yeah. So anyway, unless unless you want to keep hearing about autistic kids being killed by cops, maybe we should do something else. So today, Dale says he's oddly grateful for the experience because jail helped him turn his life around. Quote, here I am, married, a great job, three wonderful kids. Kevin moved out of Pittsburgh after Dale was sentenced in 1993. Mm, Dale came looking for Kevin. So he heard, Kevin heard Dale was looking for him and finally uh, met up with him. And, uh, but Dale wasn't upset. Dale just wanted to forgive him and unburden him. And Kevin said this helped him kick his drug habit and he remains clean. Wow. Uh, Barra was immediately after all this happened, traded to the Yankees cause his dad was the manager. But then, uh, George Steinbrenner, notoriously insane owner fired his dad 13 days after he got there. He kept doing cocaine for years, and finally the family had an intervention, and they said none of us, his brothers and his dad, they said none of us are going to talk to you again for the rest of our lives unless you stop doing cocaine. And he stopped doing cocaine uh, that, that day. That's good. I bet his dad had some real zingers in that intervention, though. <laughs> so Dale, when he was arrested, quote, I wasn't doing anything a whole lot different than the players but why were they given the chance to have full immunity to walk and then continue to play? Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's, it's obvious because, yeah, look, the FBI and the, and the police, and this was originally why the police were created, they're there to keep the class system in place. They're there to... Our entire system is set up to uh, destroy the poor and, and, and keep the rich and the well-off doing fine. Yeah. If they did random stops in... Uh, High end middle class neighborhoods, they would get so much cocaine and oh, drugs yeah. that it would be insane. I mean, when I was, you know, I grew up in a rich area. I didn't have much money, but I was the guy who sold drugs and split it. And this is what I did. I did this exact same thing these guys did. And um, if they had stopped any of my friends coming home from school or whatever, we would have all, all the time been busted for drugs. No, but that's what they do in low-income yeah. neighborhoods. They just stop and frisk and search and and then you know. prove. Yeah, and then go. See, we told you. But it's like, no, it's not. It's not. It's not just that area. Yeah, it's where you're going. Yeah. Well, as usual, everyone, hang in there. 
Yeah, please. Try your best. Try your best. Love you. Ugh. Not you, them. Really? I'm not talking to you. I love you guys so much. Screw you, Dave. Stop. The main source for this episode, Aaron Skirball, the Pittsburgh Cocaine 7, how a ragtag group of fans took the fall for Major League Baseball. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun half hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there.